the scope of what we're going to be looking at in our word this morning, uh, this changed a little bit throughout the week. I was, you know, we've, we've been, for those of you just to get the big picture overview, we read through Colossians in the book of April because we, we had been walking through the book of Exodus since back in December. And we were talking, if you guys remember, we were in the late teens, the early 20s chapters of Exodus, and we were getting these pictures of what the Messiah would be like in Moses. And we said, well, hey, you know what? Coming up on Easter, it's time for us to, you know, we're, we're getting the picture of something. Let's look at the actual thing. So that's why we went through Colossians all of April. And I was talking with John about how to tie in Christ in the Old Testament law. Right? Like if we're about to go back into Exodus and we're about to start to read through the, the different sections about some of the laws that God gave his people, the laws establishing the tabernacle, why, how do you kind of reconcile that in with Christ? And so I was trying to prepare, you know, a, a couple minutes of it at the beginning of this sermon so we could go back into Exodus. And I realized that that was just not going to happen this morning. So rather than give you guys a couple minute overview, I, I think it, my prayer for us is that this would be a, a kind of unique but a fruitful look this morning at, okay, we have Christ, and we've been talking all April and pointing, you know, from Exodus how Christ is enough. So then why are we about to go back and also read through the Old Testament law? And rather than try to answer that for you guys in a couple of minutes at the beginning of the sermon, I realized that Paul, Paul is a really good guy to try to read his writings and pick up on this question because Paul knows the law uh, apart from Christ pretty much better than anybody else in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. If you remember, Paul was a Pharisee. He was one of the guys whose, whose life revolved around knowing the law and making sure others kept the law. So how do you get that guy who knows the law better than anybody, is teaching it to everybody, is holding everybody to it, is going around actually making sure people are dying because they're not holding to the law. How do you go from that to where we've been reading in Colossians about how Paul says, I cannot think of anything other than life with Christ. It, it is a, a large transformation that Paul undergoes, and I'll be honest, we, we are not going to get to cover everything today. We, and it doesn't even matter if I took several weeks on it. It is a a beautiful part of Paul's story, but I think it is very crucial for us, it, just as we, as we go back into Exodus, as we start to see some of the laws and some of the tabernacle designs, guys, there, there is a lot, there is a lot about our faith that maybe we don't even realize it or not, that is, is based on this, this Old Testament foundation that our New Testament comes from. So I, I, I just want to take a little bit of time this morning to say, okay, Let's walk back through, let's, let's pick up on a couple key places in Colossians where Paul's kind of showing how these two things fit together. And, and may, that, may that give us some confidence as we hop back into Exodus and say, okay, we're not kind of reading this through the lens of, well, why do we need this now that we have Jesus? We're reading this going, oh, this, this is why God brought this to us. So here's kind of our main point of where we're going this morning when Paul's writing Colossians, I, I, I see there's three themes in there we're going to talk about. The law shows how much we need Jesus, how much we need Christ. The law foreshadows who Christ is. So something about the way God gives his law to Moses, the, the types of things it addresses, the timing of when God gives it, all that it points to who Jesus is. But ultimately, guys, and I hadn't really thought about this until I really was reading through Colossians this week, the law gives us confidence. 
in Christ as our life. Okay, three themes we'll look at this morning. The law reveals our need for Christ. It foreshadows who Christ is. It gives us confidence in Christ as our life. So if you have your word with me this morning, I, I did not put the verses up on the screen today because there's a lot of wrestling within my heart this week as to how do you, how do you cover a whole book without sitting down and reading the entire book. So we we're going we're gonna to kind of fly through Colossians in a big overview this morning. But guys, I, I, I pray as we, are, as we are reading this, we would understand there is a lot of beauty <laughs> in the first 70% of the Bible that we, we are often prone to missing because we just don't quite get how it fits in with Christ. So we're going to be in Colossians uh, all over the map today. And uh, then next week, we'll hop back into Exodus. But as, we are, as we're diving in this morning, guys, join with me in prayer because this is... This is some really awesome stuff this morning. Father, we, we come before you today uh, as we are journeying through the word. God, we believe that you have been leading us on a journey ever since, even all the way back uh, in August, Lord, and in July uh, when, when Abigail and I got to come here and, and join a journey that was already taking place, Father. Father, you have been sculpting New River Fellowship and, and New River Valley Community Church to be a, a light in this community. Father, you have been leading people to come to know you and, and you've been transforming them so that they may make others come to know you. God, we have been, uh, we've been doing our best to be intentional about going through the word we've been in Exodus, Father, because we want to watch the story of you teaching people who had no clue who you were how to be your people on earth. Father, and watching you form Israel has been beautiful. Getting to see the fulfillment of Christ has, has been glorious. So God, as we, as we try to put these two pieces together, Father, may, may our hearts be tender and humbled this morning, God, knowing that, that we, are, we are reading into a world that we do not fully understand, but God, we desire to. Father, we want to, to be with you and be with your people where you are today. May you allow our hearts, our minds to understand your word, Father, through your Holy Spirit. Father, may, may as we have given our lives to Christ, may we be able to understand you because as, as Paul says, all throughout Colossians, Christ is the knowledge of God's mystery. Father, we know who you are and we know what you're doing when we look at things in light of Christ. May we be able to do that well this morning. In your holy name we pray, amen. We are beginning in Colossians 1, and, and we're going to read the verses 15 through 20, and then we're going to skip over into chapter 2 and look at 2 through 3. Uh, but just get your hands ready, because we're going to be flipping back and forth a lot today. But beginning with verses 15 through 20 of Colossians 1, Paul writes, He, referring to Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. All things. And he, Christ, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. 
into chapter 2. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. It is in Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So as we, as we start here this morning, Paul is being introducing to his audience the first piece of the connection between Christ and the Old Testament here, that the law, the Old Testament, really truly reveals just how much we need Jesus. He writes in verses 15 and 16 how Christ is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of all creation. Verse 16, how all things were created in heaven and on earth, both through him, so through Christ, and for him, for Christ. He's, he's basically telling us, look, God has, if we say all things have pre been created through Christ, for Christ, then what the God gave the law is for his people to do is to be an image so they would know who he is, right? He, he gave the law to the Old Testament people, to the Israelites, so they would know who God is and what he desires of his people. So they would be able to see, oh, this, this is our God. And this is what life with God looks like. And really, it just boils down to, man, that is a holy and a righteous life, is it not? Is that not who our God is? He is holy. He is righteous. And Paul shows that that's kind of the vein the law was given in Christ. Christ not only shows that, he also is the image of us the firstborn of all creation, the, the literal display in the form of mankind, what does God's holiness and righteousness look like? So in Paul even connects, he says, look, the law was created through Christ, right? He talks about how Christ was even at the beginning. John 1, 1 tells us even at the beginning of the world, Christ was there with God. So the law was given to the people through God with Christ, it was also given for Christ. Christ would embody what the law sought to teach, which would be this life with God. Paul continues in 17 and 18 to say that Christ, so it, it was created through him. It was created for Christ. Christ is before it. He's before all things. And in all things, in him, all things hold together, verse 17. And he uses a, a word that I'm not used to in verse 18, preeminent. How many of you used preeminent this week in your conversation? Okay, that, that is not an English word we are used to. The Greek there gives a beautiful picture of it simply means giving something first place. So if you were to literally translate there, Paul is saying Christ is to have first place over all things. So the law was, was created through Christ and for Christ, and Christ being fully God, he comes above the law, before it, so it's, it's not something that is greater than Christ. Christ is still greater than it. And it also was intended to point to Christ, because Christ, being preeminent, sits above it in first place. He was intended to point to Christ and reveal, man, just how much we needed God before God sent Christ to us. Verses 19 and 20, Paul shows again, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ. He says it is in Christ that God has reconciled to himself all things, making peace by the blood of his cross, which is, which is really key. Because we see, okay, the, the Old Testament law, it reflects who God is. But Paul says that's not where the fullness of God dwelt. God gave it 
to his people. He was surely in it. But God did not give it to him as the reflection, the fullness of himself dwelling within it. He says, now the law did also not do what Christ was able to do, reconciled to himself all things. The law revealed the need for reconciliation, right? It shows us how holy God is. It shows us how unrighteous we are that we can't keep it. But Paul says it is in Christ that God was able to make peace between us and him. In chapter 2, 2 and 3, Paul continues. He says, Christ is the knowledge of God's mystery. When, when we were teaching on this, it was probably three weeks ago. I told you guys, I love that phrase. I love how Paul describes Christ as the knowledge of God's mystery. If we're ever unsure about where is God at work in the world and what would God be doing, we know God because we have seen the Son. As, as the gospel writers put it so beautifully, Christ is the knowledge of God's mystery in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If we want to know where our God is at work in the world and how he would be at work in our world, we look to Christ. It, we make it a lot more complicated. We add a lot more things to it. Paul says right here, no, the way, the knowledge of God's mystery where all the treasures, I mean, listen, church, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Christ, to know Christ, to know these things. And it, it is, I could see where for Paul it would be tempting, and you think about Paul's background, it was tempting for them to attribute that to the law, right? We like, we like the law, we like a standard, because it just tells us what to do and what not to do. And we see wisdom and value in that because we say, well, it tells me what to do. It tells me what not to do. How is that not the fullest revelation of something? And, and guys, it, it shows us, as we're going to talk a little bit about, that Christ, the fact that Paul describes Christ and not the law as the, the fullness of God pleased to dwell as the knowledge of God's mystery in whom are hidden the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, it tells us that ultimately, guys, what God is after in our lives as he's working through us in our faith is, is less about what are we doing and more about who are we now and who are we becoming. Because when God chose to reveal the fullness of himself to us, it wasn't through the law. It was through Christ. But the law had its purpose to show us, hey, this is how much you need Christ. If, if, this, if this right here is just a picture of who God is, just a picture of his holiness and his righteousness, man, then, then how good is it to know that to not be held to that standard, but to be given a new life in Christ? The law points us to our need for Christ. Why this matters for us today, church, the, the law, as it's showing us our need for Christ, as it's showing God's righteousness, it's reminding us of our sin. Paul puts it this way in Romans 5.20 where he says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, which is just a fancy way of saying to increase the knowledge of our sin, right? It, it made us aware of the fact that we weren't right with God. But Paul says, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Right? That God gave the Old Testament law to Israel as a way to show them, here is just how holy I am. Here, I mean, 
you're not going to be able to live up to this standard, right? So I'm going to give you not only just the law of what to do and what not to do, here's the law of how to be made right with me. Here's the law of how to set up the temple and the tabernacle and, and the table inside and the lampstands. I mean, it gets extremely detailed because God deeply cares about whether his people truly know him and what it means to live life with him. So we're not going to read when we go back and study Exodus next week. It's, it's not to read through and establish like some sort of legalism, right? That we're going to adopt principles of the law and say, oh, we need this in order for salvation. We're not going to be reading through it to say, okay, well, if we follow these different pieces of it, then that's going to make us more Christian because there's an entire group of people teaching it that Paul is addressing in Colossians saying, don't be, don't be caught up in that. But the law reminds us of our sin. And, and church, why... Why it is good and proper for us to be reminded of that when we come to the word is because we cannot accept needing a savior if we cannot accept the fact that we are broken to begin with. It is, it is a scary thing for many in our culture today to admit that we might not know everything or that something is, is broken within us. And guys, that is, that, that is very scary if we did not have the hope of the gospel waiting for us, right? Like we as Christians of anybody in the world should have no problem admitting, you know what, we, we may not have it all figured out. We may not be right on some stuff because, again, we're not living underneath a law that's telling us we have to measure up to something or telling us that we have to be doing or not doing something. We are living the life of Christ, what we have been teaching through the book of Colossians. And, and guys, I, there is... There is a beautiful tension. There's a beautiful tension in a lot of places in Scripture. There's a beautiful tension in, in being able to admit the fact that we have sin and admit that we also have a Savior, right? And I, I see that so many of our struggles come when we, we, we don't hold them in tension, right? If we just want to focus on, on, our, on our Savior and say, okay, we, we just need to focus on fixing the brokenness, because that's what we see that Christ has done in us, then, then we get anxious because we get caught up in works and we go, oh my gosh, I just messed up on something. What do I do to fix this? And sometimes you can't and then it eats at you because you're like, I, I don't know how to fix this. And we, we get anxious and we get worried and we forget that that is the work that Christ has done within us. Sometimes we get too, too focused on the sin and we say, well, we... It's really not as bad, and so we, we're trying to justify between ourselves and others, sometimes just justify to ourselves why what we're going through isn't that big a deal, and it leads us long-term to create a standard of righteousness that just isn't of God, right? That, that we are saying, okay, based off of me, this is why I'm okay with this. It is, church, it is healthy, it is, it is right for us to be able to admit we have brokenness, and we have, we have a condition, a, a rebellious streak known as, as sin. Because Paul is telling us, look, as the law came in and showed our need for Christ, God did not just stop there. He also then brought Christ. So guys, as we go back over the next couple weeks and we, we start reading through the Old Testament laws, we are, we are going to be kind of... I hope we are struck with awe every day of, wow, I have been broken apart from God, and this is, the, this is the degree with which God wants me to be with him. 
that he would, he would set up this whole system to lead his people to be right with him and pointing them to the day where he would bring himself to us to be right. It, it, is, it is a beautiful story, and, and that's... Don't lose sight of that, okay? Because more than as we're diving back in and we're talking about, man, what should we do, what should we not do, we are, we are looking at the story of God forming a people into his image, teaching them what that means. And, and you realize that that has been the story all throughout Scripture, right? When God decided to bear his image to his creation in the garden, he makes Adam and Eve. All throughout the book of Genesis, you see that when God is desiring to bear his image to his creation, he comes through people. He sends Noah. He sends Abraham. He sends Isaac. He sends Jacob. He's now forming a nation, Israel, on earth to bear his image. You see, he comes in the Messiah, and then Jesus leaves, and he gives his, his followers the spirit, and he establishes the church. Guys, the story throughout Scripture is of God revealing his image to his people and calling people to take up the image. The law has its place in that story, pointing to an image to come, saying there's a lot you can learn about it here, but thank God Christ is coming. So the law reveals our need for, for Christ and it also foreshadows who Christ is. We're, we're kind of already getting there ahead of my notes, but if you look back now if me at chapter 1, verses 21 down through 29, and then we'll... We'll pick up a couple more in chapter 2, but pick up with me in chapter 1, verse 21. Paul writes, And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he, Christ, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints." To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Just hear that again, church. To them, to others, God has chosen to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery of our salvation, which is Christ in you the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, verse 28. Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Moving down to verses, uh, see, 11 through 14 in chapter 2. Paul continues in saying, In him, in Christ, also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it 
to the cross. In verse 17, one of my favorites, Paul says, these, referring to the Old Testament law, referring to the Gnosticism that we were talking about, the law and the spiritual experiences, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. That was, that was powerful when we were looking at that about two, three weeks ago. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And in that we see a, a beautiful picture of what the law does for the Messiah. Not only does it just show us how much we need Christ, but it shows us a, a glimmer of what Christ will do as he comes, which Paul has been writing all about in Colossians. Man, this is who Jesus is. This is who Jesus has come to do. In case you have been out any Sundays, here's who Jesus is and what he's come to do for us from what Paul's written here. Verse 21 through 23, Paul points out how we were alienated and hostile toward God. There was not some sort of middle ground in there where we're just kind of like, yeah, God's over there and I'm over here. Paul says, you are alienated and hostile doing evil deeds, verse 21, but you are now reconciled in his, in Christ's body in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach if indeed you continue in the faith, verses 22 and 23. Guys, the law reveals our sin, but also pointed to one who would come and be able to permanently make atonement for that. It pointed to one who would come who could actually bring us back into a right relationship with God. Paul says that, that is Christ. Verses 25 through 29, Paul says a couple different times that he's become a minister to make the word of God fully known. He says, so what is the word of God? What is this mystery hidden for ages? This mystery is Christ in you. And guys, as, as I was was sitting on that this week, I realized that that is a powerfully profound statement for Paul to make. If you remember Paul's background, he is, he is a Pharisee. He's a former Pharisee, right? He knows the Old Testament law. He knows the Old Testament scriptures, in theory, better than anybody else, right? Of course, not better than Christ, but Paul is sitting there with as much earthly wisdom as you could get of the word. And the Pharisees, they could... It's not like they're sitting around going, well, we hope we're getting this right or not. They consider themselves to be ministers of the word. Their whole life was the Old Testament law. And I, I love how Paul says, I still am a minister of the word. I'm not discounting how much time and energy and love I put into the law. But he says, but for me to be a minister of the word, I am no longer preaching living under the law, being under the law. I am now preaching Christ. And in, in that moment, Paul is saying, Christ has come and fulfilled the law. Knowing Christ is to know and understand the word of God. John, in his gospel, more times than anywhere else in the New Testament, refers to Jesus as the living word of God. And here Paul says, I still am. I still am a minister of the word, but I realize now it's not not to minister the law. It is to minister the one who has fulfilled the law. It is to minister Christ, the whole of his life in 2029, to present everyone mature in Christ. So the law definitely points forward to Christ if Christ is fulfilling the law. Guys, why this is, this is crucial for us is because it is only in Christ 
that we can know God's word. So as we are going back and reading through the Old Testament law, again, it is not to set something up apart from Christ, but it is giving us another angle, another glimpse into who Christ is and what he's done for us. Paul says in in chapter 2, the verses we read in there, in him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. He talks about the circumcision of Christ. It's a good rule of thumb when you're reading anything that Paul has written in the New Testament. And he gets on this, this train of talking about circumcision. He's referring to the Old Testament law. right? Because if you guys remember, in the Old Testament, circumcision was the sign that meant you were one of God's people. right? God gave that to Israel as a way of showing, hey, if anybody comes to see you and gets to know you, they will know if you are God's people by, by this, this physical act you undergo. And Paul says, but an even... An even better circumcision is the one of a life fully given, fully surrendered over to Christ. He says it is a better binding of one's life to God to be circumcised in Christ as opposed to in the Old Testament law. So in the Old Testament law, you get this picture of trying to bind one's life up in God as a representation of God on earth. And Paul says the better picture of that, the fulfillment of that, is in Christ. So again, as we go back to the Old Testament, as we read through it, guys, we're going to, again, we're still pointing forward, and it is valuable because sometimes when we only look at the picture from one angle, I I was listening to an analogy this week where, if you can imagine with me, imagine that we're sitting in this room and that this this room is, all the walls are of glass, okay? So if, if we spend our whole lives standing up here like say on the stage, looking at this direction into the room, right? We are going to see a lot, of, a lot of what is going on in this room. But if you walk around to the different sides of the room, you're going to see things that you miss only looking through this one lens, okay? We get the full picture in Christ. So as we go back and read through the Old Testament, we are, it's like we're getting to walk around to the different sides of the room. We're seeing, oh, Christ does this. Oh, Christ does this. Oh, Christ does this this way. Oh, Christ does that that way. It, it, we get to see a fuller picture of who Christ is, understanding what was trying to point to him. And this is what Paul says in, in verse 17. Man, these, these Old Testament laws, the, the spiritual experiences, these, these things are a shadow, but the substance belongs to Christ. So why does this matter for us, church? It, it matters because I think if we are honest with ourselves, the shadow is easier to follow than the substance is. And I realized that this week. Uh, we have a fascinating, ten- or I, I shouldn't say we, maybe you guys don't have this problem. I have a fascinating tendency to want to, foul, to follow the, the shadow over the substance. A picture of that is typically when I'm, when I'm reading and I'm studying in the Word, and I get to some place I'm not entirely sure about. One of my gut instincts is to call somebody else and ask them what they think. Okay. Now that is a, I would say that, that that's a very healthy thing to do. I, I have a many many mentors in ministry, much older, much wiser in the faith than I am, and I value their opinions a lot. I also have some friends in the faith that are younger that I also call because, you know, we're all wrestling through the word together. It's, it's beautiful to get to learn from different people. But I realized that sometimes in my 
jumping to talk to other people, I never actually think about it for myself. Sometimes I call them before I even have sat down and wrestled with God's word and said, okay, but Jordan, what, what, based off of your reading of the text, based off of knowing what you know about other places in scripture, what, what do you think about God's word here? I, that it is, it's my gut instinct almost to go see what somebody else thinks rather than to go to scripture. Now, again, I, I know I am finite, so guys, I promise that as I'm teaching to you, this is not just Jordan's opinions. There have been tons of phone calls and discussions with people that, that this is not just like, oh, here's what I think about this word. But the order that that comes in is very important. And it's, it's difficult, I think, for us sometimes to really sit and wrestle through the complexity and the depth of God's word because it's hard work. I mean, you wonder why so many people have the resolution of like spending time in God's word at the beginning of the year and then it never lasts or why it's so hard for us to set aside time to be in his word because understanding God's word is hard work. It requires the discernment of the spirit. It requires prayer. It requires community that we're discussing it with other people. It, and honestly, you might get to the point where you read it and go, the word of God isn't answering the question I want it to because I'm, an, I'm asking the wrong question. Like it, it is difficult work and sometimes you don't even get the result that you think you want. And so guys, what happens is we settle. I, I think it's, it's true in the church, but it's true mo most of culture. A lot of the input and the information we get is secondhand. But it's a lot easier for us to process and deal with. Right? It's way easier for me to make an application off of an interpretation or a commentary than for me to sit down and do the hard work in community with other people also sitting down and doing the hard work. It's, it's easier for us to follow the shadow than the substance. And again, I, I love the imagery Paul uses because he's not condemning the shadow. Okay, please, please hear me on this. Paul's not condemning the shadow. The shadow had its purpose. As Paul is, is wrestling with this, he's pointing out, man, it, follow the substance because ultimately what God is after is, is not the doing, it is the being. Who are you? Who are you becoming? Our faith in Christ as a testimony. Paul puts it in other ways, say this, that the, the doing is kind of the shadow of the being, that you need to understand the being in order to understand the doing. And that language is very clear in Colossians, guys. Paul uses the rest of Colossians to talk about putting off the old life, putting on the new life, understanding who we are and who we are to be becoming, whose image we are to bear. Yeah, that greatly transforms what we do in our lives. But Paul says, do not don't put the shadow ahead of the substance, guys. That was the error of the Pharisees that Paul knew all too well. And I do pray that that's not an error we would continue to make. The last part of this, that the law gives us confidence in Christ as our life. Guys, hear the last couple verses from chapter 2 and a couple places in 3 and 4. Paul says in chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, 
and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Moving down to verse 20 through 23. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Paul then moves into chapter 3 saying, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then also you will appear with him in glory. And then as we talked about last week, verse 5 in chapter 4, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. As the law is revealing how much we need Christ, as it's showing us who Christ is and what he would do, it ends with giving us confidence in Christ as our life. He says, see to it that nobody takes you captive. Why? Because in Christ the fullness of God dwells in him bodily. And oh, by the way, when your life is in Christ, that dwells within you crazy church that the fullness of God dwells within you don't go back to the law you have everything in Christ verse 20 through 23 Paul says hey living under these standards other than the gospel or living to a standard adding to the gospel going back to the law it has it's appealing it gives us structure tells us what to do and not do we like that in in a a western culture Paul says it, it it has the appearance of wisdom but it has no value No value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. It looks great, but it can't do what Christ does, what he points out in verse 23. Paul says, therefore, you have such confidence in Christ as he gives the exhortations at the beginning of chapter 3. Seek the things that are above. Christ is, verse 1. Set your minds on things that are above. Verse 2. You have died, right? That old way of life, you do not have to worry about anymore. You have such confidence that your life is hidden with Christ in God, verse 3, that you will appear with Christ in glory because Christ is your life, verse 4. Church, we can confidently take the life of Christ as our own because Christ is our life when we have our faith in him. Paul says you do not need the standards. You do not need to go back to something. You have Christ, and Christ is enough. And he says even in verse 5, continue in faith because you have Christ, you have the wisdom of the mystery of God. He says walk in him so that you even know how to relate to people who don't know God. He says, look, if Christ is the mystery of God, of who God is and what he's at work doing and the world needs to see this, show them Christ. He says so that, verse 5, you can make the best use of the time. We talked about how It's an odd-sounding expression in English. The Greek means to redeem. To make the best use of the time is to redeem. That we actually know how to conduct ourselves around parts of our culture, around people who do not know God, if we are walking in Christ. This is the promise that Paul is giving us here. We know this because, hey, the law, the law was not the wisdom. The law was not the mystery of God. The law was not showing us how we could be redeemed, even in our own lives or in somebody else's lives. 
Don't go back to the law. You have what you need in Christ. Guys, why we're going to end there this morning is I, I believe, and, and we pray for you guys daily on this. It, it, is, it is one of the, the biggest lies that we wrestle with that we need something other than Christ as a follower of Christ. Which it, it might not sound like that's something that we struggle with, but remember, Paul wrote this entire letter to a church that had multiple groups of people telling them, yes, you have Christ, but you also need this to really follow God. You still need the law. There was the Gnostics. Yes, you have Christ, but you really, there's like the special wisdom you can only get if you have these special spiritual experiences. Then you can really be right. Then you can really be following God. Paul says, you have Christ. In Christ, you have redemption. In Christ, you have reconciliation. In Christ, you have restoration. What more, what more do you need? Like, what, what more do we think we can receive? You have Christ. Don't go back. And, and guys, I think he, he is writing this, if you think this is about 30 years after the death of Christ, this is right around the time that Jerusalem is going to be taken over by Rome. And he's calling them to the example of Christ. And I'm going to quote Romans 13, 8 through 10, because it is, it is a, a, almost an odd conclusion, but he shows that a life confident in Christ is not a life under the law, but it's actually a life of love. Paul writes in Romans 13, 8 through 10, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Listen, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. He continues, the commands, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, that covers pretty much everything, are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Paul explains, love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. I was talking with a church member this week. And they were telling me about different ways they used to live. And when they fell in love with their spouse, how much their lives looked different afterwards. And I thought, that, that is a picture of the gospel. That out of what Paul says, love, <laughs> it fulfills the law. And you think about when Christ came and the way he interacted with people, the way he called people to himself, the way he drew them in. Oh, he knew. He knew they did not deserve to be in the presence of God when he called them in. Christ, he's fully God. He knows exactly where their hearts are at. But he is the living embodiment of saying, but this is what it looks like to bear the image of God on earth. Our world lacks love in pretty much every arena. And guys, I, I pray and I beg that the church would not fall into that. Because Christ says in John 13, 35, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Why it's important for us to consider the law in light of Christ. Guys, if the way that we live, if the way that we speak if the programs we have at our church, if the ways we structure things, if, 
if the systems we introduce, if the whatever, if whatever we do does not bear the fruit of the love of God, which Paul says here practically plays out in our love for one another. He says it's not of God. To love God and to love one another is the life of a, a Christ follower. It's the life of relational discipleship. It is, is what we have been talking about all the way since past October, pretty much since we've, we've gotten here, that, that we've been walking through the scripture to show this life of Christ that we are called to have. And guys, as we spend the next several weeks going back into the law, we are going to see beautiful pictures of, of what would come in Christ. And guys, I pray that that would deepen our appreciation for who Christ is and what he has done for us and just, just give us a whole new window into Christ and seeing something pointing to our need for Christ, something foreshadowing who Christ is, something giving us complete confidence in Christ is our life. And so as we, as we respond today, we are going to take communion in a second. I'm going to ask the, the team to come back up and to lead us in our final songs. And guys, as they do, join with me in, in just praying through Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Okay. It says, God, you call us to have confidence to enter into your holy presence by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, his flesh. God, you bring us into your household and you have given us a great high priest in Jesus. God, forgive us of our lack of confidence. Forgive our lack of love for our neighbor. Father, lead us to draw near to you with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Forgive us of our wandering and selfish motives, Father. Forgive us of our evil desires. Lead us to hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. God, for we know that you who has promised us this hope, you are faithful. God, forgive us of our wavering. God, lead us to consider how we ought to stir one another up to love and to good works. Father, you have fulfilled your law in your love and called us to do likewise. May we not neglect meeting together with our neighbors, as is the habit of some. Forgive us of how quick we are to cast our neighbor aside in pursuing our own gain. God, we need community with you and with others. May we encourage one another and all the more as you draw us near. God, may this be the response of our hearts before you today, especially as we move into our time of communion and our time of corporately declaring who you are and what you have done in our lives. It is in your holy name we pray. Amen.